Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys again, and uh, we'll talk about this with you guys. This is a um, pretty important topic uh, that, that we're on tonight. So we're, we're moving through the Gospel of Mark, um, and as, as Arnold said, you know, we're, we're asking uh, a very important question. Jesus asks us a very important question. Who do you say that I am? And here in our reading, Peter says, Christ. And if you don't really have all the background as to what that means, you say, well, yeah, of course, Christ. That's Jesus' last name. It's not surprising that he would call him Christ, Jesus, Christ. Like, that's just his name. Or, Lord, Savior, Christ. It's all interchangeable. It's all kind of the same thing. But if we don't really know the background, all the, all the uh, significance that goes into that name, Christ, we miss a lot. So if you've ever walked into the middle of a movie and they're diffusing a bomb, you're like, wait a minute, what is going on? Well, it's because you walked into the middle of the movie. You're missing a lot of the context and stuff. So what we're going to do first is um, go into a bird's eye view of the book of Mark. And this video that we're about to watch is really short, but it's put on by The Bible Project. Uh, so you can go to thebibleproject.com or YouTube and see this. But just to kind of get an overview of what Mark is doing, how he's communicating, because he speaks in a different way than Matthew or Luke. So let's go ahead and, and see what he has to uh, say before we talk about it. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. And the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there, because that's a term a lot of people, like me, aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized, and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting starting to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people, and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens <coughs> so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book, where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, Who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens, because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messiah. And it is not what they expected. 
He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant. Or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this, and he rebukes Jesus, because there's no way he's going to let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is. But it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here, now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them, and every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book, where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with religious leaders, and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the Son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away, and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid, and that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle, and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? Okay. So that crux of the book that they're talking about, that's our reading for today. We have Peter and Jesus kind of going back and forth as to who he is and what he has actually came, uh, come to do. And you have Peter saying, you are the Christ. Uh, another word, the Messiah. That, that name is synonymous, Christ, Greek, Messiah, Hebrew, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one by God. And Peter's dragging into this title all of these political uh, ramifications of what it means to be the Messiah. Under Roman rule, Israel had seen lots of quote-unquote messiahs, people leading rebellion, trying to get out from under Rome's boot heel. And Peter is saying, but you are the one. You have the it factor. You're going to do what they tried to do, but you're going to succeed at it. You're going to make Israel, a prominent nation on the world stage, you're going to restore our riches, restore our, our fame, uh, bring us back to, uh, to where we were. That's what Peter's bringing into this title, Christ. So it's, it's very clear that he is confused. When he says, you are the Christ, Jesus says, be quiet, don't tell anybody that. Why would he say, be quiet? Because Peter's confused. He doesn't know what he's actually saying. 
And it's clear he doesn't know what he's actually saying because the very next account is him saying, you don't have to die. You don't have to do all that. You're supposed to save us. What are you talking about? You're going to die. You're supposed to be building a following here. People are going to start walking away if you're telling them you're going to die. You're not doing this right, Jesus. Right? This is not the kind of Messiah you need to be. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know how much clearer we can make that Peter's a little muddled right now um, as to what he's actually saying. So, so what is it then when, when we talk about Jesus being the Christ and we worship him as Christ? What is it we're saying? And that's the question that Mark is asking here. Who do you say that I am? And, and it's very, very blurry. But by the end of the book, Mark is progressively making it clearer and clearer for us. So have you ever been to the optometrist's office and you're trying to figure out your prescription and they put the two things in front of you, they say one or two. You say, which one is clear? Okay, they move to the next one. One or two. You say, which one is clear? One or two. And, and by the end of that session, you have a much clearer uh, prescription than you had before. Well, there's only one lens that we can clearly see the Messiah through, and that is Scripture. Right? We are on the other side of the cross. We have the luxury of looking back and seeing what Jesus did. We have the luxury of reading this book as a whole and saying, what did Mark actually mean when he said Christ? Because Peter does not know. But as, as these guys said in the video, there is more to the term Christ than a political figure. Peter wanted someone to make Israel great again. That's what he was looking for. When we... This should only emphasize how serious it is that we see Jesus and confess Jesus for who he truly is. Not a partial confession, not who we want him to be, none of that, but who he actually is. When we say Christ and Lord and Savior, if we don't have in our minds and in our confession what Scripture says about Christ and Lord and Savior, then we have fallen short. And, and Mark is very clear. Christ is very clear about the seriousness of a half confession, a partial confession, or a partial belief. It's not, well, as long as you believe something about Jesus, that's good enough. He is very clear. That's not enough. Get behind me, Satan. That was Jesus' response to a partial confession. So let's not do that. Let's, let's plumb the depths of this book for, for, for what Jesus is, is saying. And still, we do it all the time. We operate on a partial confession. Who is Jesus? Made in my image. He is my helper, my uh, my my Savior, the victorious one, the resurrected one. Yes, 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 all true. He is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Yes, all true. He is advancing his church. Yes, all true. He wants what is good for me. Yes, that is true. But how does he do it? Through his death, through his sacrifice. He calls us into a resurrected life. How? Through death and sacrifice. Right? We join him through, through his death. If the Son of God was not fit, did not concern himself to be fit, 
to escape death, but entered it willingly. For you're not greater than death to be able to get to life by somehow going around service and sacrifice. We need to be careful about who we claim Christ to be because what we believe about Christ directly affects what we believe about ourselves in Him. Tomorrow is MLK Day. We have a... We have a picture where we have to... We have to reconcile, we have to reckon with where our country has been and the terrible things that we have done as a nation. Um, In many ways, uh, MLK Day has just become a day off or a day of service, right? It's just about volunteerism. Um, But we can't get to that without holding up a very clear picture of who he was, right? Otherwise, you know, we just kind of ignore a whole lot of stuff that brought us to to where we are. Um, This was a man who championed the civil rights movement. He was speaking on behalf of the oppressed in the face of injustice. Um, The leader of the civil rights movement, one of the leaders of the civil rights movement, and he was not successful. In many ways, he was. In many ways, things are better now than they were then. But in many ways, they're just more subversive now than they were then, more hidden now than they were then. He succeeded in some ways and he failed in others, but I think we also need to remember that this was a man who was shot for what he believed in. And he didn't get to celebrate that dream, that famous dream of death. We're also in the midst of these um, big hashtag movements, hashtag Me Too, which is Me Too being I have also been sexually assaulted or harassed, um, and hashtag Church Too. This happens in the church. This injustice, this attack, this sinfulness happens in the church too. So we are very much in the midst of a of, of an unjust culture. We see injustice perpetrated all the time. So we have to be careful how we approach this time, this morning. We come here and say, well, this is what we do each week. I need our communion for forgiveness. I need to focus on the resurrection. I need to remember that everything is going to be okay. All true. Very true. But it is also a partial confession. You cannot get to forgiveness and victory without first going through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. So as a church, you know, this we are not exempt. We are a body, a gathering of sinful people. Right? There's in no way that we can be exempt from injustice. This is not just on the world stage. This is in our personal lives. How we consider ourselves greater than the person next to us. Or, or uh, that we have more prominence and more priority than the car next to us right before we cut them off. Or that we don't deserve to be cut off. Right? We, we, and all of these just little things, just these constant little instances where we say, I don't deserve that. Or they do deserve what they got coming to them. I am exempt from this. They are not. All kinds of ways we would make ourselves put in the place of of some kind of Lord over others. Individually. Culturally. Internationally. 
you know, we can defend, we need to be very careful lest we defend and put before the humility and sacrifice of Christ before the all-encompassing love that he put himself to death for our sin. We need to be careful that we don't put before that statements that would completely denigrate entire peoples and entire nations. our culture, our nationality, our church, society, the quote-unquote better way. Well, it's only better in one way, because Christ has saved us, not because we ourselves are somehow better than other people. We are one with them. His forgiveness was for us as much as it was, as much as it was for them. I think confession and repentance need to be just as much a part of our confession of Jesus being the Christ as, as any other day. I mean, we, if we're focusing on Jesus being the Christ, let's put that in full perspective because that's not what this book is about. This book isn't about Jesus being the Christ. We talked about it last week. What is the very first verse? The very first verse in this whole book. Jesus being the Christ, the political figure to save Israel, yes, that is true, in ways that they didn't imagine, but it was true. He was the figure that needed to save Israel. And he did it politically by encountering and going up against the political figures of that time. He was the Christ in many ways in that regard, but he didn't accomplish it in the way that they expected. Why? Because the political figure that they expected would sit on a throne, would dole out gifts, and that his disciples would be kind of famous and have it all together just by being in proxy to him. But that was not what Jesus came to do. This book is not about Jesus just being the Christ. Go to Mark 1, verse 1, and he lays it out very clearly. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Mark is very intentional. Other Gospels have Peter saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Mark is intentionally communicating something here. He doesn't call him the Son of God. He just says, you are the Christ. He's missing something. Peter is missing something. Only the Son of God can die for our sins. Only the Son of God has to die for our sins. And that's what Peter didn't get. Mark is making it clearer for us, who Jesus is. The stories that he lays out, he does with a purpose. So it's not really surprising that we have a very odd story immediately preceding Peter saying, you are the Christ. There's a very odd story that comes right before that. This man comes to Jesus to, for Jesus to heal his blindness. And it takes Jesus two tries to do it. The only time that this is ever reported this way in Scripture, it never takes Jesus more than one time to heal somebody. Why, why would he take two attempts to heal a man's blindness? He says he, he healed him, but the guy says, you know, it's still blurry. I can see, but people look like trees walking around. And then Jesus heals him entirely. Why would he do this? Is Mark trying to say something about Jesus' power? Like, we're so draining on him that it takes him twice as long to heal us? Or it takes twice as much of his power to heal us? Is that what Mark is saying? 
maybe it's not about Jesus and how much power he expends as much as it is about this man's blindness and how bad we are off. They are being shown who Jesus is. He has come to them and said, See, open your eyes. I am right in front of you. And what is their response every time? I can see, but it's still blurry. After Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he, and he, and he helps this guy well, he says, believe, the man says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. This is a now and not yet Christ who has come to us and every day makes himself more clear. At least can. When we look through our lens, Right? If we're not looking here and we're looking in the culture, we're looking to our national leaders, we're looking to our spouse, our friends, our kids, um, even the church as an institution. If that's where we're looking, the vision is still blurry. Only when we put the lens to our face, right here, do we see the Son of God, the Christ, clearly for who He is, holy and completely. And that affects who we are. Because we are not just walking along with the with the all-exalted Messiah, the ultimate resurrected victorious one, waiting for our own resurrection, like we're just kind of following along, waiting for these for these crumbs to fall so we can uh, pick up and just be taken along for the ride. We are walking with the Savior who invites us into his death as well, invites us into a life of sacrifice, invites us into a life of loving other people. And the disciples didn't get that. But we look through the cross as this perfectly clarifying lens that this God does have the power to come back from the dead, does have the power to raise us from the dead and forgive our sins, but not before he brings us through, brings us with him through death into life. Let's blow up our picture of Christ. Let's blow up our picture of ourselves in Christ. The capacity that we have to live for the sake of others. So that we have to forgive sins in Him and to be forgiven in Him. This is our God. Would y'all uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for being an all encompassing God, the God of life and the God of death. Above it all, over it all, everything being in your hands. Father, we thank you for sending us a Messiah who would not just ride victoriously into battle and sit on his throne in comfort, giving us nothing but breadcrumbs from his table, but instead that he would invite us into a full partnership, that we would be complete co-heirs with him. Everything that is his becomes ours in him. Father, you're such a generous God, such a powerful God. I ask that you would direct our eyes, protect our hearts from being so preoccupied with our culture, with our politics, with our national interests, that we would put them first and foremost above your word that declares all people loved and holy and image bearers of you. Instead of putting ourselves above others individually, 
culturally, internationally. Lord, help us to put ourselves under everyone and serve them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, as he has done for us. Reveal, up, reveal those people to us, Lord, so that we can go and show them the love that you have given to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.